Hey, it's Alan, and I just wanted to let you know that you can now listen to the ongoing history of new music early and ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. We've all been to the movies, so we have an idea of what a director does. He or she works with the actors and the editors and the makeup and costuming people and the special effects guys and everyone else to make a script come alive. He or she tells everyone what to do and how to do it. So what we see on the screen is the director's vision. All right, so what does a movie producer do? He or she is the deal maker and the money person and the guy who does all the hiring. In other words, the producer is the director's boss. Okay, so what does a record producer do? Um, well, a record producer is kind of like a movie director, except that, that he's not, because ultimately it's the band that's responsible for the music and the final product. And, well, let's just say it's a tough gig, because you have to be both hands-on and hands-off at the same time. You have to coach, teach, encourage, get mean, pamper, manipulate, tolerate, communicate, articulate, whatever it takes to coax the best performance out of a band and the best out of the available music. And you have to keep everything on time and on budget, too. It takes a special kind of person to be a record producer. And for whatever reason, some of the biggest and most successful producers of the rock era are Canadian. The Canadian producers. Billions and billions served. This is the Ongoing History of New Music Podcast with Alan Cross. Rage Against the Machine from their brilliant 1992 debut album, an album brought to life by the guys in the band and by its Canadian-born producer, Garth Richardson. We'll get back to him later. Hello again, I'm Alan Cross. I don't know, maybe maybe it's the water, maybe, maybe it's the beer. But whatever the case, Canada is some kind of weird breeding ground for at least three things. Hockey players, comedians, and world-class record producers. Canada represents about 2% of the world's market for recorded music, but when it comes to making this recorded music, we do way more than our fair share. Some of the names you're about to hear may be unfamiliar, but I guarantee that you've heard their work. I want to start with a family tree of sorts. I want to show you how a line of succession 
has developed. So you can see how a lot of these famous producers are linked together. And we're going to begin with a guy named Bob Ezrin. Bob Ezrin was one of the most successful record producers of the 1970s. He was born in Toronto in 1949 and was a radio junkie growing up. He loved trying to pull in far-off American stations with his transistor radio. His uncle, Sid, was a big music fan. He apparently had the first ever stereo system in Canada. Now, you got to remember this was the 1950s, and stereo was a very new thing, and nobody had stereo systems, but Uncle Sid was apparently the first. Uncle Sid also had a record collection that included more than 15,000 albums. In the 1960s, Bob got a job working in a recording studio with Jack Richardson, the Guess Who's producer. He also took a summer course in music production taught by the legendary producer Phil Ramone. His big break came in the early 1970s when he produced the breakthrough albums for Alice Cooper. And from there, he moved on to projects with Lou Reed and then Kiss. Bob produced Kiss's biggest records of the middle 70s. You know the Destroyer album? Produced by a Canadian. Peter Gabriel's solo album, his debut solo album? You know the song Salisbury Hill, right? Produced by a Canadian. And when Pink Floyd got hopelessly bogged down with a project in the late 1970s, they called in Bob Ezrin to sort it out. And the result? Just one of the biggest selling records of all time, The Wall. Wouldn't have happened without a Canadian. Bob moved on to other pursuits in the 1990s. He founded an interactive multimedia company called Seventh Level Incorporated. Are you a fan of Monty Python? Remember a CD-ROM called A Complete Waste of Time? Seventh Level. And how about that children's series with Howie Mandel called Great Adventure? Bob Ezrin and 7th Level. Bob also runs a recording facility called Enigma Digital. He also serves on a ton of community service boards down in Los Angeles, including the Mr. Holland's Opus Foundation and the California Africa American Museum. He's a busy dude, but he's still a fan of music. In fact, when Jane's Addiction decided to reunite for a new album, who did they score as producer? Canadian dude and record-producing legend, Bob Ezrin. Jane's Addiction and the Strays album, produced by Canadian Bob Ezrin. All right, let's back up for a second. The guy who gave Bob his first proper gig in a recording studio was Jack Richardson, another Toronto guy. He was born in 1929, and he started as a musician, but then went to work for the CBC in the 1950s before bailing for the advertising industry in 1960. His biggest client was Coca-Cola, by the way. In the late 60s, he got into the music industry and was the Guess Who's producer during their glory years. He also worked on records for Alice Cooper and Bob Seger and the Allman Brothers and Rush and a ton of others. And then came his kid, Garth. Garth Richardson grew up watching his dad work with all these bands. He then started helping local bands with demos before scoring a huge gig engineering the Mother's Milk album for the Red Hot Chili Peppers in 1989. The job he did on that record led to a full producer's job with Rage Against the Machine and that debut album that we talked about a few minutes ago. That led to more work with everyone from Motley Crue to 5440 and Kitty and Mudvayne and Chevelle and the Catherine Wheel and Trapped. Trapped and Headstrong from their 2002 debut album and another solid success for Canadian producer Garth Richardson. By the way, you may have noticed that Garth usually goes by his first name, which he spells with three G's. 
So why does he do that? Because he has a stutter. He likes to make fun of it. His Vancouver-based company is called Triple G Productions, by the way. Here's another family tree of sorts when it comes to big-name Canadian record producers. This isn't a very big country, so you would expect to find connections like these. Let's begin with Bruce Fairbairn. He began as a trumpet player in a Canadian band from the 70s called Prism. Because the group couldn't afford a real producer, Bruce began producing Prism's records in 1978. Turns out he was pretty good at helping bands make records and word spread pretty fast. Throughout the 80s and 90s, he produced mega platinum albums for Aerosmith and ACDC and Bon Jovi and NXS and Kiss and Loverboy and Poison, the Scorpions and Van Halen and a ton of others. You add up all the sales of all these records and you have close to 100 million albums. Here's a sample of Bruce's work with the Cranberries. This is from their 1996 album, To the Faithful Departed. Salvation from the Cranberries, a song produced by Canadian super producer Bruce Fairburn. Unfortunately, Bruce is no longer with us. On May 17, 1999, he was found dead at his home in Vancouver. He was just 49. But before he passed away, Bruce built his Vancouver recording studio, which is called Little Mountain Sound, by the way, into one of the greatest recording studios in North America. And one of his top employees was a guitar player named Bob Rock. Now, Bob also came out of the Vancouver music scene. Bruce from Prism. Bob from the Paolas. Remember them with Eyes of a Stranger? Bob stuck with performing longer than Bruce, working with his partner Paul Hyde into the late 1980s. But he also had an assistant producer job at Little Mountain Sound with Bruce, and he became so good at his job that he became sort of Bruce's protege. Eventually, Bob started taking on his own clients, and now his resume reads like some kind of who's who. we got The Cult, Veruca Salt, Aerosmith, Motley Crue, Our Lady Peace, The Tea Party, American Hi-Fi, Afghan Wigs, David Lee Roth, Econoline Crush, Cher. Yeah, yeah, Cher. But Bob's biggest success came in 1991, when he persuaded the guys in Metallica to streamline their sound. See, before Bob came along, Metallica was doing all right, but they were really just a, a cult band. Okay, they were a big cult band. Each record sold at least two million copies. But Bob believed that they were one of music's best-kept secrets. He convinced them to change their sound for what became known as the Black Album. Bob made them work with traditional song structures. He made them concentrate more on melody. He got them to pull back on the riffing and the drumming and the thrashing. And, of course, Metallica purists freaked out at the result. But the band went from selling two million records to 20 million records. How can you argue with that? Metallica and Enter Sandman from their 1991 breakthrough album, a CD produced by Canadian super producer Bob Rock. And he got to where he is today thanks to the guidance and mentoring he received from another Canadian super producer, the late Bruce Fairburn. Let me lead you through another series of connections when it comes to Canadian producers. We're going to start with Daniel Lanois. Daniel was born in Hull, Quebec in 1951. When his parents divorced, he moved with his mom to Ancaster, which is now a suburb of Hamilton. Daniel got deep into music, especially the guitar, and especially Jimi Hendrix, by the way. In his middle teens, Daniel was recognized as one of the best guitar players in all of Hamilton. 
He also gained a rep as being a pretty good guy to have around in a recording studio. Together with his brother Bob, they set up a studio in Mum's basement where they helped local bands record demos. And apparently hundreds of groups made their way through that basement. In 1976, Dan got a job at a new recording studio in the east end of downtown Hamilton called Grant Avenue Studios, where he spent countless hours making records with tons of different performers, including Raffi, the children's entertainer. A few years later, a recording by something called the Time Twins landed in the lap of British musical experimenter Brian Eno, who, at the time, just happened to be interested in several avant-garde Canadian performers. This Time Twins track had been produced at Grant Avenue by Daniel Anwa. Eno was so impressed that he booked time with Dan at Grant Avenue to work on some of his early ambient records. And over the next couple of years, Lanwa learned a lot about recording music, which he then applied to sessions with bands like Martha and the Muffins and the Parachute Club. Then came the big break. In 1984, Eno was contacted by U2 to help them take their sound to the next level. And when Eno finally agreed to take the job, he called up Dan and Hamilton, and the result was The Unforgettable Fire, U2's big commercial and critical breakthrough. The album was a breakthrough for Daniel Lanois, too. He went on to work with Peter Gabriel and his So album, and there was Bob Dylan and Willie Nelson and Luscious Jackson, and of course, lots more U2. Wide Awake in America, Actung Baby, All That You Can't Leave Behind, and the biggest U2 record of them all, 1987's The Joshua Tree. Still building their In the mid-1980s, Daniel Lanois and his brother sold Grant Avenue Studios. Dan then started looking for a new headquarters, and at first he thought about building a studio someplace in Mexico. But in the end, he settled on a mansion in the French Quarter of New Orleans. He called it Kingsway Studios. And one of the guys he hired to run the place was an assistant at Grant Avenue named Malcolm Byrne. Malcolm used to be in a band, too. They were called Boys Brigade. But like Bruce Fairburn and Bob Rock, Malcolm eventually got into producing full-time. With Dan's help, Malcolm has had gigs producing and engineering for Iggy Pop and Patti Smith and Bob Dylan and Blue Rodeo and Midnight Oil and Junk House and John Mellencamp and many, many more. Here's a sample of his work with Iggy. This was recorded in New Orleans at Kingsway Studios. It's Iggy from his 1993 album American Caesar and Wild America. Iggy Pop, produced by a Canadian, Malcolm Byrne. We've spent this entire show looking at some of the greatest Canadian record producers of the last 30-some years, but who have we got coming up? Take Greg Norrie, for example. Greg has been a member of Treble Charger for decades, but now he's branched off into band management and production. He's responsible for launching Sum 41's career, and all those multi-million selling Sum 41 records, produced by Greg Norrie. Iggy Pop's 2003 album Skull Ring, produced by Greg Norrie. He's also produced tracks for big soundtracks like Spider-Man and Daredevil. Then, of course, there's Chad Kruger of Nickelback. In a, in a very short period of time, he's become one of the most powerful and most sought-after performers in all of music. And it's not just because Nickelback has sold more than 10 million albums. He's also produced the debut album from Default, which went gold in the States. He produced Theory of a Dead Man, platinum record in Canada. And now that he has his own record label, the Vancouver-based 604 Records, and now that Nickelback has their own recording studio, Chad is set up to be some kind of industry mogul. 
So you watch, if he can survive the Nickelback grind, he could end up as big or bigger than some of his Canadian super producer predecessors. Like I said at the beginning, I don't know if it's the water, the air, or the beer, or what, but Canada has certainly contributed more than its fair share of world-class record producers. And we still haven't covered them all. There's Arnold Lanai, who has been a major part of Our Lady Peace and a Simple Plan. There's Matthew Gerard, who has worked with everyone from Kim Mitchell to Hilary Duff to Nick Carter of the Backstreet Boys. Some, like Chad and Greg and Arnold, have elected to remain in Canada. For now, anyway. Others to move to where the real action is, America. For example, Bob Rock has been living in Maui for the last nine years where he operates his own recording studio. Bob Ezrin has been in Los Angeles for decades. David Foster, who's made billions producing Celine Dion records, also lives in Southern California. Daniel Lanois has been bouncing all over the world and has no intention of coming back. There's no U2-style money producing bands at home, and besides, he says the taxes are too high. And more Canadian producers may follow simply because more American labels are signing Canadian bands directly to American record deals. And what we've seen is that the Canadians are bringing their producers with them. Bottom line is that for the foreseeable future, one of our greatest cultural exports will continue to be the people who know how to make a good band sound great. The technical stuff for this show is handled by Rob Johnston. I'm Alan Cross. You've been listening to the Ongoing History of New Music podcast with Alan Cross. Subscribe to the podcast through iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, and everywhere you find your favorite podcasts.